part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. If you'd open your Bibles to uh, 2 Timothy 1.7, it's going to be kind of our base verse this morning, but um, we will look at several different coordinating verses this morning. talking this morning with several of the people that just showed up early, uh, Sherry and all them in the back, Andy and some of the elders and different. Isn't it amazing, guys, that we who try to live life under control, that in the last 48 hours we have found ourselves, uh, if you want to say, at the mercy of things that we cannot control, and how uh, just quickly all that really developed. Wednesday night, at supper, we were not talking about this. We did not anticipate this. That was just a few days ago and how quickly everything has either begun to develop or all the ramifications. And uh, it, it's a great, great reminder to us that we are not in control, um, that we very much uh, depend on God who is sovereign over all things. And when we go into times like this, uh, we saw one instance um, in my ministry, right after 9-11, the church literally could not hold the number of people that day. We had people down the sides. We had people out in the area. And Shadowbrook was a pretty big church. We could hold uh, roughly 850 people in the services. But every one of the services that morning were just at capacity. And uh, people were hungry for what is next, what is next, what is next. And there's a part of us that, that really does hunger for that. Um, I mean, you, you may not even know about your jobs and, you know, what kind of restrictions will come. But in a world of unknown, that's where we go back to the, what do we know? What do we focus on what we know? And so that's what we're going to do this morning. The Bible very much uh, calls us to have uh, a faith in replace of our fear and that our fear uh, does not have to, uh, does not have to, to take over our life. Uh, and, and one of the things I love about the Bible is that it acknowledges these battles. But you usually hear me talk about the tension points of the faith life. You know, that it is a tug of war that goes on because we are still people that are walking in this flesh. At the same time, we are people of faith. And we're actually, if we're a Christian, we're inhabited by the very Spirit of God. So we have this spirit that wants to believe, that has belief, and yet we have this humanity that still kind of frictionally calls us, you know, over to these places and becomes uh, at times anxious and maybe even fearful. And so the Bible talks about this. Uh, in the Bible, the, the word fear in some capacity is mentioned 266 times. The word afraid is mentioned 233 times. If you add those together, that's 500 times or 499. And so 500 times the Bible is addressing these things. And with the first time that we see this addressed, I... I as we talked about a theology of doubt last week, the theology of, of suffering, I think we have to have a theology of fear and faith, too. You know, we have to have a biblical basis. This first point is really important for us to understand, and that is when we first see fear mentioned in the Bible, we see it in direct relationship to our sin and when sin came into the world. So look at Genesis. I, I know I told you just go to 2 Timothy 1.7. 
Um, that's going to be our main text. But look real quick at Genesis 3, 9 through 10, or just up there on the screen. In the garden, and when we see what is uh, happening there, they have sinned, they have gone their own way, they have rebelled against what God called them to, and then so sin has brought a new nature to them. This is really, really important. If we're going to have a theology of, of fear and faith, one of the things that we have to realize is that our fear is based out of this sin nature. Before that, we do not see fear mentioned. Okay, But now look what it says. Genesis 3, 9. But the Lord God called a man and said, Where are you? And again, I don't think that God is at a mystery. He knows all things. He's pointing out not because he really wonders where they are, but he's pointing out that question so that they do have to kind of respond with an acknowledgement of their answer, which is that they're hiding. Verse 10, and he said, I heard the sound of you. Not the sound of the boogeyman, not the sound of some other thing that they're unknown. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. One of the great theologies of this nakedness, that it wasn't just that he didn't have on clothes. There was exposure. For the first time, right after sin, what was the first thing that Adam and Eve said to one another? They realized that they were afraid and they were kind of ashamed. For the first time, sin brought out new thoughts, new realities that they had never entertained before. One of those is that now they're afraid of God. There's a, a certain, we were afraid. Why? Because I'm exposed now. What are they exposed from? That God had never seen a naked person? No. God made them. They're exposed in their sinfulness. This is a new nature. And it caused anxiety. Well, the Bible then mentions throughout the entirety of the Bible, 499 more times, this fear, this, this being afraid, this anxiousness that comes. And guys, understand the root of it, okay? Because when we understand the root of it, then we can start to see the remedy of it. One of the things with this whole COVID-19 thing that's going to happen is the, the all the really smart scientists and all these people, I believe by the grace of God, they have to identify exactly what's there. And as they identify the problem, then they can identify the remedy. That may take weeks, months, for whatever. Who knows when the remedy and the vaccine will come out. But they're doing the same thing scientifically that we do theologically here. We see what is the root of this. What is the problem? Because until you identify the problem, you cannot identify the remedy. We do not see faith as the remedy until we understand that fear truly is a human problem based in our sinfulness, in the sin nature that we have. But while fear will always be a reality, reality that we have to deal with, it does not have to enslave us. So we live in a scary world, and these could be even determined as scary times, certainly unprecedented times. But even as Christians, we do not have to be enslaved to that. Look what 2 Timothy 1.7 says. For, and this is Paul writing to Timothy. He's writing because Paul is facing a lot of unknown. He doesn't know at what point in time that uh, whoever the governing authorities in the Roman government are, are going to either cut off his head, but he, he's already been told by God that his life will end pretty soon. He doesn't know all the details. He just kind of knows that this could be uh, out there, save God 
you know, do something else. And so he's writing to Timothy, and one of the first things that he does, he kind of assures him in this faith that has been instilled to him, not only by his mother, but his grandmother. So he says, okay, in, in the opening verses, so that we can read it in context, he said, okay, you have been built up in the faith. And then he says this great proclamation. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Please notice the profound truth of this statement of our faith. The Christian faith, guys, is not just a call from something. It is that. It's a call from sin to salvation. It's a call from uh, selfishness to giving our lives away, to self-preservation to a life of sacrifice. That's why you're going to see this word, therefore, a whole bunch of times in the Bible, because it says, okay, here's our nature. Here's the reality of the world that we live in, but here's what God has done. Therefore, here's the call upon your life. When we look at this, this is a call from something. It's a call from fear. But it's not just a call, don't be afraid. It's a call to something. Power, love. Some versions, self-control. Yours may say self-control. The King James says sound mind. Um, I I love what the, the CEV says, sound judgment. This is a call that we have. Has you, has it ever occurred to you just really how Satan tries to enslave us but with fear? Think about it. Categorically, the fear of the known, but also the fear of the unknown. And are, can you see that in, in this day that we're facing right now? There's a known factor out there. <laughs> this morning we get the report. There's two cases in, in Athens. Okay, so there's a known factor. But then what also brings anxiety could bring possibility of fear in our lives is the fear of the unknown. What is this going to need, mean to me, my family, health-wise? What is it going to mean to me uh, economically? What is it going to mean to me in all these different capacities? So Satan attacks from both of these. Known, this is a very dangerous virus. The unknown, how much will it spread? Uh, will it come to, directly to our area? Uh, how long would this keep us in a mode of kind of being secluded from one another? We don't know those things. But that's the amazing thing about this truth, especially in this verse we see it so clearly. God has not given us the spirit of timidity or fear. We're not to be timid here, but it's not just a call away from that, but it's a call to power and love and a sound mind. And God does this constantly through his word and through his promises. Psalms 27.1, up here on the screen. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? But look what David writes. This is one of the Psalms of David. Psalms 27. And notice how he kind of parallels a call from something and a call to something. The call from something is the sense of darkness, lostness. The call to is to light and salvation, a saving from God. When we really start to put that into our mind, it's not just that we get called out of something into a nothingness. We as Christians, inhabiting the very spirit of God within us, have us the ability to be called out of fear, but actually be called into the actions of faith. Just like we were talking about doubt last week. Doubt's going to happen to every one of us. 
There's going to be times that we think, okay, God is good all the time and all the time is God is good. But we will face times in our lives when something drastic will happen and at least this other doubt, is God good all the time? Is God really good? You know, Psalm 77 is a great example where the psalmist is writing there, has God forgotten to be gracious? Has God forgotten to be merciful? I mean, those were real questions that were just heavy upon his heart. Doubt came, but doubt is not unbelief. That, that would have been our sermon today if we would have been in a regular mode is the dangers of doubt when it moves from a, just a doubt, a thought, and then we act upon it. Here, God has called us to not just not fear, but to actually he calls us into something. Look at Romans 8.15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to do what? To fall back into fear. What's the assumption there when you, when somebody says you have not been, um, did not receive the spirit of slavery to do something? What's the assumption? That you were there. <laughs> this is kind of your spirit before. This is, this is something that you had in your spirit before. This is kind of your nature that you have this spirit of fear. You, you've been there. But he says, now because of this redeeming work of Christ, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back in fear, but you received the spirit, capital S, of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Called from slavery, captivity, to family, adoption, sons and daughters of the living God. This is one of my favorites. Uh, Psalms, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful promise there. That as we pray, and you know, a call, number one, not to be anxious, a call from anxiety, and a call to peace. It's not just a call into absence of anxiety, but it's a call to peace. But look at the beauty of this. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding is going to defy logic at times. Is there a logical sense to be anxious in the day that we are right now? From a human viewpoint, the known and the unknown, that's what makes Satan's lies believable lies. Because there's enough truth in that, it's half-truth, but the half that's there, the known and the unknown portion of it, we're going, man, I don't know how is this really going to affect things a week from now, a month from now, the entirety of my life. But God says, okay, look, I'm not calling you to fear that and to be anxious. I want the peace of God to come, and it's sometimes going to surpass logical understanding. And what is it going to guard in, the, in that promise? Why, why do you think he says hearts and minds? This is a little bit different than a regular past, uh, you know, ser- sermon on Sunday morning. So you're going to answer that. Why does he say hearts and minds? What do you think he's referring to? Yeah, because sometimes our feelings can be illogical. Sometimes our thoughts can be illogical, and so those are two vulnerabilities. And yet he said, "Okay, this peace of God, which surpasses understanding, it's something beyond your own capability." will guard your hearts and your minds. A call from anxiety to a call of peace. What an opportunity, folks, we have 
for the reality of our faith to be seen in a world that is afraid. Not in a judgmental way. We'll get to that in a little while. Not in a I'm better than you way. But truly, if we are believers and we truly believe this about a God who is in control and he's sovereign over all things, there truly should be something guarding our heart and our mind that makes us a little bit different. Not in a, oh, look at me, I'm superhuman. And certainly not, look at me, I'm ignorant, I'm going to go and do whatever I want to. No. No, we believe that there's a God who's in control and he is sovereign over all things. And he's called me out. Now, without looking in your Bibles real quick, does anybody know, we love Philippians 4, 6, and 7, so don't look there for a second, okay? Does anybody know what verse 5 says? Could you even wrangle up in your mind? How many of you have somewhat memorized, or at least you're very familiar with verse 6 and 7? Okay, you're very familiar. Whether you've memorized or not, you know, when I said that, when I quoted it, it's like, oh, I've heard that thousands of times. Look at verse 5 now. Because again, we always want to look at things in context. Look what he says. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Then he says, what word stands out in that verse to you? (laughs) In other words, okay, one of the effects of having Christ and the very Spirit of God within our lives and knowing the truth of God is that it brings a little bit of reasonableness when there's times that we really could be unreasonable. For example, toilet paper. I mean, not, not, not to be super silly, but you know, we already see some of the effects of just the craziness. And uh, I, I think we've all faced that a little bit. I was in the store the other day, and we had gone a couple of weeks ago and, and got the, the Sam's pack. We're a Sam's family, so, you know, and we have a lot of things at our house, so we, we buy truckloads. And um, and so we, we had recently bought, you know, the, the, the 64 pack or whatever. But I was in Kroger the other day, and they did have a couple... You know, things still up there on the shelf, and there's that temptation. I'm going, you know, we might run out in a week or two or two weeks or something like that. There's this unknown factor. And then, not because Bobby's not a selfish guy, but the reasonableness of the Spirit said, no, you know, there's somebody that really needs that 12-pack, and I don't. And so I didn't get it. That doesn't make me superhuman. I had to confront my own selfishness. And that's the reasonableness I hope that God has called us to, that in scary times, when there are times that we have the known and the unknown that could cause fright in our hearts, that we have the known about God to to overcome the unknown. So what do we do? Four things, guys. Here's four points of action that I think we can apply immediately in our situation today. We don't have to see further developments we can do these things this very day. Number one, if, if this is relevant to you, talk age appropriately to your children. One of the human nature things that happens in all of us as humans, but especially kids, when we have a blank, we will fill in that blank. When we're a little kid and we've watched movies or read books about uh, a monster or something like that, and all of a sudden we hear something in the closet you know, that could have just been a t- toy falling. All of a sudden, there's a blank there. What was that? And what do we do? As, when you were a five-year-old, when you were a seven-year-old, when you were a 22-year-old, 
did you logically say, you know, that's probably just one of my toys that I kind of threw in there because mom said clean up my room and it eventually kind of fell? Or is there a little part of your five-year-old mindset that says, that's a monster. <laughs> There's something in there that's the unknown. We fill in the blank. And oftentimes in our humanity, we fill it in with something that's scarier or worse than reality. So number one, fill in the blanks. Uh, I, I can assure you that the people of God, the Israelites, before they were called out of captivity that night when the angel of death came through and they're pointing, you know, painting on the, on the doorpost there with the blood, that the kids said, this is not normal. This is abnormal. What's happening? Age appropriately, they told a 13-year-old and a 4-year-old same truth, but different ways. So I think that this is very important for us to deal biblically and honestly with our children, but very age appropriately. Number two, gain assurance from God's truth daily. More than ever, the excuse of, well, you know, I'd love to, to spend more time in God's word, but I'm so busy. We have all these activities. We have this. There may be, a, at least in the next week or two, not as many activities as we've had in the past. And, and so maybe this kind of forced slowness actually gives us a great opportunity to be in the Word more. And we need the daily assurance of God's Word. Number three, look for opportunities to show the love of Christ. That could be elderly neighbors. That could be uh, neighbors with children. And they've got to run to the store and you watch the children because they don't want to take the children and put them out in Publix or Kroger or whatever it might be, and say, look, I'll watch your kids as you go to the store for an hour. You know, So just opportunities. Um, I think you already know how I feel about Jeff Grant. The other day, the minute all this stuff comes around, he's already on the phone talking to the powers that be, how do we get food to these kids that get the backpacks? Already, he's talking to people that he had never, you know, some of them he knew, but some of them were the authorities over this and people that, uh, that he hasn't had to work with. He's already on the phone looking for opportunities, caring for, hey, here's an opportunity for us to be light in the darkness. And so with this comes a lot of opportunities to show the love of Christ. Number four, this is an important one, guys. Use this time not to judge, but to cast hope. how awful it would be that we as Christians would go around with a pious attitude. Well, if you were just a Christian, you wouldn't be afraid if you wouldn't do this. And that we would somehow think that it's that we're just special. We are in the sense of the very Spirit of God lives within us, that, that we've been saved from our lostness. But that was all by His grace. <laughs> this is not something you can claim because you were just a good person. And, that, and, and so we're to have compassion. Let me give you two verses. Then we're going to have a time of prayer. And then we're going to sing majestically as we go out about where we've placed our faith. 1 Peter 3.15 But in your hearts, honor Christ as holy. So the first call is what we do. Being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's in you. Number one, get in your heart and straight and right and have this faith and a faith that's showing so that maybe somebody's going to go up, you know, Andrew, you, you don't look like you're afraid. 
And yet there's this other person that you work with maybe at the night shift or something, and you can tell that they're kind of anxious. Why, why, why aren't you all freaked out about this? Look what it says. That we were ready to prepare to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with what? Gentleness and respect. We are not lording over this. What we're doing is we're having a sensitivity. Jude chapter 1. Uh, there's only one chapter, so it's Jude. <laughs> Verse 20 through 22. And, and Jude is a heavy book. It's kind of a somewhat of an end times book, kind of. And it's talking about just, you know, how tough life can get in the end times and a little bit of that. And it says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Where does it start? Us. You believe in your truth. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Okay, what words of hope? But look at verse 22. And have mercy on those who doubt. mercy on those that doubt. Gentleness, respect, have mercy on those that doubt. Guys, this is not a time for us to go around in the sense of some kind of authorities because we're Christians and we thumb our nose or we thumb that fact in front of people. No, this is a time for us to be light in the darkness, salt in the world, that the love of God, the hope of God, the hope of these eternal truths shine through us and so that we can have that co-worker, that family member, whoever it is, that neighbor, and that we can say, you know, that when they honestly reveal to us, now I'm, I'm kind of nervous about this. And we can say, you know, there's a lot in one way to be nervous about, but here's our rock, here's my hope, and here's how I'm getting through this. And that we just share our faith and the stability of Christ in such an unstable time, what seems to be an unstable time. Uh, both our president and uh, others, uh, have called us into a, a day of prayer. And so um, we want to pray. I'm going to give you about, uh, you know, just a little time to, to pray. Normally we would even call people to come down to the altar and pray. Uh, but I think that would be in violation of the, the social distancing or whatever. So so we're just going to ask you to kind of pray where you are. There's not that many of us. And just to pray where you are. And then I will close us in a prayer. And then we're going to go out singing in Christ alone. Because sing truth in times of need, sing truth. And in Christ alone is one of the most powerful songs ever because it takes us through the gospel and it takes us to the, calls us from something and it calls us to something. Let's pray. Father, long before a president called us to have a national day of prayer, you've called us to be a people of prayer. That in anxious times, Father, that we would, Father, come and we'd, with prayers of thanksgiving and prayers, Father, for, for other concerns that we would have, that, that we'd bring those before you, Father. And so, Father, we do that today. And Father, we pray for government authorities, Father, from the president and Senators and Congress, other local leaders, Father, that in the days to come, we'll have to make a lot of tough choices, Father. We pray that you would guide them, and Father, that they truly would be guided by biblical wisdom. Father, that they would not react out of fear, but Father, that they truly would, Father, just do what is right for uh, the people that they have authority over. 
Father, I pray that for other national leaders across the world, Father. Father, you've also told us to pray for for those that, uh, Father, have authority in other places. Father, right now, school principals and administrators and others are making all kinds of difficult and unchartered decisions. And Father, we pray that you give them wisdom as they have authority somewhat over our children and and have a responsibility, at least, Father, to our children and our communities. Father, I pray for pastors. I thank you that we had the opportunity to meet together this morning, Father. I know many did not have that opportunity because of their circumstances. So, Father, in the weeks to come, Father, uh, how we do churches is going to be a little bit different, perhaps. I pray for wisdom for the elders and the pastors and deacons and other leaders out there, Father, in the days to come, that that you'll give them that wisdom. Father, I pray for our first responders, doctors, nurses, Father, policemen, Father, firemen, others that, uh, Father, this is going to be a time perhaps of great need. And they can't just go home and build a fire and kind of isolate themselves, Father. So we, we lift up those community servants, Father. I pray for Andy, Father, who will be in court for the next couple of weeks, Father, for the judges, for, for those that just serve us through the organizations that you've made us, Father. And, Father, I pray for Andrea, Father, just as Father's and, and all of her co-workers and ones like her, that, Father, they don't get to retreat. In many ways, they're on the front line. Father, I pray for people like Miss Vicky that uh, is going to try to fly home this week from Utah. And, and Father is wondering, am I going to be able to fly back to Atlanta? Father, I pray for Cornerstone Church. I pray for the other churches in our area. Father, I pray for the bodies of Christ and the ultimate church, Father, universal, of all those who are in Christ that at this time we truly would be a beacon of light, hope, and faith when a world is anxious and Satan would love for them to succumb to fear. Father, we put our trust, our faith, our hope in Christ alone. He's the only one worthy of that faith and that trust not just because we face these uncertainties, but Father, in so many capacities, even a month ago when the stock market was high, life was good, and all these things were happening, Father, around us, that people could say, oh, look at the prosperity. Our need was as great then, perhaps even greater, than our need this morning when we come to the reality of the awareness that we need a rock. And you've provided for us one, Christ Jesus. So, Father, we sing this song as a prayer. We sing it as a proclamation. We we sing it as an anthem of our faith this morning, Father, that we want to be these people that believe these truths and live in this victory as we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, 
you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.